All right. Well, let's pray and we'll dive right in. Lord, I thank you that our hearts are open to hear and receive everything that you want to say and do. I thank you, Lord, that any facades or fronts or walls or shells that we've built around our heart and our lives will be torn down today. Lord, we want to be like you in every way, and we don't want to be pretentious. We don't want to be hypocritical. We want to be honest and truthful. And I thank you, Lord, that this is a house of honesty. This is a house of truthfulness. This is a house of healing. This is a safe place, Lord, where we can all come together as one in your presence to open our hearts to you and to one another and to become more like you. Thank you, Lord, that you did predestine us. You predetermined that we would be conformed to the image of your son. And I thank you that you are determined to make that happen. Thank you so much, Lord, for everybody that's here today. Thank you, God, that we didn't come to play the role of church, but we came to be transformed into your image and likeness, to know you, to become more like you, to think and act and talk like you, and to love like you. Thank you for the marriages. Thank you for healing. Thank you, God, for revealing things to us that we're harboring or holding or thinking or processing that aren't of use and that we can repent. We can repent of those things so that we can see and love the way that you do. We love you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, the title of my message today is You Can Run, But You Can't Hide. We'll just leave it at that. You can run, but you can't hide. And we do run and we do try to hide, don't we? The thing is, is there's always areas inside of our hearts and our lives that we're fearfully protecting. But we don't admit them. But they're there. There's layers of things inside of us that we build that we don't even realize aren't of him. And if he doesn't show it to you, you won't ever know it's there. So the best thing that we could ever pray is, Lord, show me any area that is in my life that's not of you. You know, I'll make a simple statement. If you're highly opinionated, you're running from God. We'll be talking to highly opinionated people today. You know who you are. Highly opinionated people have thoughts and judgments towards others that aren't necessarily based on fact and truth. So when I pass an opinion and I didn't take a moment to really ask the Lord about it, but I passed a judgment on you or gave my opinion, I'm giving something that's of me and not of him. Ta-da! We don't get any pass to be opinionated. God wants us to be truthful and honest, and that means we take off the fronts. There's no fake it till you make it. I'm not going to fake it till you make it anymore. I hope you guys want a pastor like that because it will be hard. It'll be real. It'll be honest, but it'll be transparent because we're in the days where God wants transparency and honesty and authenticity. And so if we can just admit that we're jacked up in so many different areas and we think things that we maybe don't say, but now those things that we're thinking need to get out of us because God sees even that. I've had eight and almost, you know, nine weeks now of self-deprecating and just owning up to stuff. I, I mean, I could sit, we could do this all the rest of my life. But we're going to kind of come to the close of a nine-week run. And if you haven't been listening to the last, you know, nine, eight weeks of messages, I would encourage you to. Because things aren't the same anymore here or with me. I don't want them to be. And when I act the same, I've got to be quick to repent. And I've got to be quick to acknowledge it. I'm manifesting. I know it's not the Lord, but it's coming out. And as soon as I can be honest about that, the faster I can find healing. But it doesn't mean I get to coddle my manifestation. It doesn't mean it's okay. About, I don't know, 
six, seven days ago, a week ago, and my wife's here so I can talk about her now. She was having a rough day, like we all do. And I was being a typical man that wanted to try to fix it. And she's like, I'm just going through it right now, and I just need, I just want to be mad right now. Not at me. It's, she's working through some things in her life. She's had some struggles breathing, as you know. She's like, I'm just upset. I'm upset that this, the Lord hasn't healed me yet or this and that. And, she's like, I just, and I'm like, you know what? I'm great with that. I'm just going to love you in the midst of it. And you know what? It, in that process, she found comfort because now she wasn't pretending or hiding anymore. She was real about it. But it doesn't mean that it's okay. You can't just keep tearing people down and manifesting on people all the time. There has to be this process of growth. And so if you're desirous of change or you're saying to a spouse or friend, I really wish you would change, what you really should be saying is, I really want you to become more like Jesus. So I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to love you instead of trying to fix you. That's the problem with religion is we, religion tries to fix you. And it's not honest and transparent about the fact that I got my own set of, set of issues and I don't really like a lot of things about you. But I'm going to take it to Jesus and instead of being opinionated, I'm going to work on my own self and get the plank out or the beams in my house, in my heart that I built that I think are bringing stability that are really causing me to fall. That's the problem with religion. I, I taught that last week. Get the plank out. Get the plank out. But the only way you're going to get it out is if you're honest with yourself and we stop pretending. I think thoughts that are not of the Lord and about people and you and situations and I protect and preserve myself in so many ways that I don't. It's been nine weeks of talking about that. I'd rather you be real and manifest and just tell me you're really ticked off and I don't like it and instead of being a, putting on a front. I counsel people all the time and they come into, the, into marriage counseling situations and things are absolutely terrible, but yet they're quoting scripture and pretending that everything's okay and they're not being real and honest with themselves. And then finally, eventually, at some point it comes out and I go, finally, there's the real you. Because God wants authenticity. The more that I self-deprecate and own it and be authentic about it, first with the Lord. It doesn't mean I dump it all on my wife because then I'm just sharing things that don't necessarily need to be shared. I need to share what God wants me to share, but I need to give it to him first. Yeah. It doesn't mean, because then I'd just be a jerk all the time. Some people are just straight up jerks, right? I mean, it's like they're just dumping their stuff and they're rude. You don't get a right to be rude either. In fact, you don't get any rights. Let's just start there. <laughs> Biblically, we get one right, is to become a son or a daughter. Everything else, everything else that you have is ownership of an inheritance, not an entitlement. You don't, you don't, you're not entitled to anything from God. Let's just make sure we know that. God doesn't owe you one thing. He never has to do something. So we have to tear that American Western Christianese concept down because you can do all the right things and God still didn't do it the way you thought he should and then what happens I checked all my boxes and I did all my things that I thought and God still didn't do what I thought he should do and now I'm mad about it and I'm mad at him and then I'm living a life manifesting and I'm mad at everybody you ever get mad at everybody whoa sorry 
I'm mad at this microphone right now because it keeps manifesting. Here, I think my shirt keeps, let's do that. There we go. God sees everything. He always, he's always watching. There's not a thing he doesn't see or watch. Nothing's hidden from his sight. God knows everything about you. God created you. He predestined you for a purpose. And nothing can separate you from his love. Now, those things that I just said should produce something inside of you. But we don't really understand it. What really changed me nine weeks ago was when God took me into a third-person view of myself and followed me around through my days. It was scary. Could you imagine if you could see yourself and how you act and respond and manifest throughout your days towards God, towards others, the things you think in your heart? It's more so my demeanor and my actions because words are not in, in uh, meanings, not in words. It's in the people, how you say it, how you respond. God was showing me how I would pull away and I would respond to her and I'd be upset because I wasn't getting my needs met and she wasn't treating me the way that I thought I should be treated. So I'm pulling away and then when she's manifesting, I'm mad at her for manifesting instead of just loving her and God's showing me how I'm acting. And it's witchcraft. He was showing me the subtleties of the lies of the enemy that creep in to keep us divided instead of united. Little things. You lay in bed at night and your wife's ready to give you some pillow prophecies. She's got, she's about time to have a conversation. Although I will say things have switched lately. I'm like ready to talk and she's like, I'm tired. I can't, I'm like, what is happening to my life right now? Maybe actually God's answering my prayers. <laughs> He's like, go to bed. Now's not the time. She's ready to talk and a lot of times it's struggles or challenges or concerns and you're tired and you want to go to bed and you lay there in your bed while you both look the other way dreaming about getting on your phone because you don't want to have that conversation and you're acting out and you're divided and God says roll over and look her or him in the eyes and engage in a conversation and be for them not against them instead of protecting yourself and your issues and your struggles and your challenges and what you don't like about them and how they're not meeting your needs now you're leaning in to love them. Singles take notes. You'll get there one day. It's not just in marriage or in the marriage bedroom. It's in all of our relationships because you're protecting yourself. We don't even know what the real gospel is, a lot of us. We are pretentious about the gospel, and I'm going to show it to you. But when you understand how much God really actually loves and cares and created you and he's for you and he's predestined you and he's interceding for you all the time at the right hand of God, it should do something to you. It should incredibly impact how you live your day-to-day -day lives. Every minute of every day should be impacted. How you respond to adversity, health issues, and those God connects us to. I get it. When you're sick, it's like, man, when you don't feel good and you got health issues, it's really easy to manifest on somebody, isn't it? You don't feel good. But do you get the right to? Should you? But should we have grace and compassion for people when they do? Should we love them even better? But more often than not, we respond and reflect what they're reflecting at us. We should have greater compassion. But the problem is, is that 
we have this concept of protecting and preserving and fighting for everything. And the last thing I want to do is die. But the, the gospel and the essence of the gospel is die and lay your life down and your life is not your own. This should crush offenses and fear by driving back at any unhealthy self-conscious and self-esteem issues. So if you are overly self-conscious and you have self-esteem issues, how God feels about you and loves you and created you and thinks about you and is always desiring you should crush those issues in your life. If I could, if I could be self-conscious from God's perspective, it would change everything. But if I'm self-conscious from my perspective, I'm worried about what you think and I'm always protecting myself. God's love, ever-present help and closeness should produce a heightened awareness of how you process, think, and talk. From the words that come out of your mouth to your demeanor and your body language. You should always think twice before you say something and you should always be spirit-led in what you say. Now I'm going to show you some scriptures. In fact, I highly encourage you all to go read Proverbs 15. I'm going to show you scripture in a little bit, but I'm going to, I'm going to go off script here for a second. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere beholding the good and the evil. But if you read the first two verses and the verse 4 and 5, it's all about how you talk. Because if God's watching you all the time, then the way we respond and speak, it starts out with a soft answer turns away wrath. When you understand the closeness of God, it should change how you act, how you think, how you love. And I get it. Listen, some of us are manifesting in sin issues. I love you just the same. You should love me just the same. We all got things we're working through. It's not a matter of a sin issue. It's a matter of the way that you act and the way that you speak and the way that you talk and the way that you respond and the opinions and the things you post on Facebook and all this other stuff. We get divided with our spouses and then the one we should love the most and be so the most united to we're angry and we're mad at and the worst thing you could ever do is get on Facebook and air your laundry on Facebook. Right? It's satanic. It's demonic. You should, I have this heightened awareness. It's, a, it's a, in my subconscious. It's hard for me to put it into words. It's I'm so aware because of what God showed me and how he watched, how I saw myself, that now I'm constantly seeing myself that way. And I'm like, okay, God is like this close to my face. I better think twice about what I'm about to say. Because <laughs> what I really want to say and what I should say are two different things. Am I right? So we say one thing out of one side of our mouth, but in our hearts, we think something different. We're full of opinions and thoughts and judgments. So we should have a heightened awareness. This should make us think twice before we say a word or jump to a conclusion. How fast are you to jump to conclusions? Very fast for some of you. You see somebody, man, that person's crazy, and you just write them off. And maybe they are crazy. But God doesn't write anybody off. In fact, God biblically says when you take care of the poor and the outcast, you're taking care of him. Did you know that? When you write them off, you write him off. I've had such a greater heightened awareness that I feel like the, the better I can love her, I'm actually loving him. I have been praying for God's church 
or for y'all, and God says, pray for your wife, because when you pray for her, you're praying for my bride. (laughs) That's crazy. It's a shift of everything. How we live at home and how we love the ones that God puts in our life is a direct result of how much we love the Lord. And yet we're mad because we don't feel good or things aren't going the way we think, and they're not acting the way I think they should act. Jesus never, ever lived or loved like that. Best thing we do is just own it. I'm not trying to beat you up today. I know this is hard. It's hard to start a message off with talking about how jacked up we are. But trust me, there's good news coming. But the best thing we want to do is self-deprecate and own it and pull the veil off. I'm doing a lot of repenting these days so that you know. We say, we talk about, it's the church needs to repent. We're thinking about our, the nation, right? And by the way, all of October, we're going to talk about how righteousness exalts a nation. We're going to talk about Jeremiah 17, the potter and the clay. And God says, everything in the context, if a nation responds right, he lifts it up. And if the nation doesn't respond right, it tears down. And did you know that God, this is more than the United States of America. Did you know that God calls you and I a strong nation? We are the ones that set the standard. We are the ones that set the temperature for a nation. Well, we will be preparing for the election because we're the ones that are called to set the moral compass and biblical standards for a nation. God's already defined it. And all the while, we're mad and we're manifesting and we're all caught up in CNN and Fox News and, the, and race riots and the riots in the nation. I, I get it. I hate it and I don't like it. And, but who's weeping for the sons on the other side? Yeah. I don't like what I, we see, of course. But in our hearts, we say, well, they get what they deserve. Thank God he didn't give you what you deserve. Of course the church is called to be a a standard of what's happening in our country politically. Of course I'm called to hold people's feet to the fire. I'm not going to go to vote for a mayor because I think they're nice. Or I like them because they gave me a handout and they were always there in my community fixing my streets. They get my vote. Nobody gets my vote because of that. And we should vote. We, the best way to make your vo- voice heard is by voting. Right. And we will vote, won't we? Yeah. <laughs> yes, we will. And we're going to talk about that. We have to. Mm-hmm. Knowing how, God, how close God is to us at all times and having that revelation and insight and understanding of his perfect love being so close to you and that he's always thinking about you and desiring you and created you and he has a purpose for you should affect how you process things and talk. It should affect what you say and how you say it. It should make you think twice before you jump to conclusion or give an opinion or pass judgment. This should produce incredible confidence and security in you because you should know that God is for you and not against you and that he doesn't condemn you. But we live as if we're condemned and if we feel condemned in our hearts, guess what we do? We condemn others. And we hide behind condemnation, but we don't even realize it. 
hurt pe- hurting people hurt people. Really what that means is people that feel condemned in their hearts condemn others in their hearts. But see, you're not condemned, but we don't really understand that. This is the essence of the gospel. He sets you free from the law of sin and death or being condemned. See, the law was perfect, but you could never adhere to it. The law was designed to reveal the shortcomings and inadequacies with you that are inside of you. So Jesus would take it a step further and say, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and the Sadducees in every dot and jittle, you can't re- enter into the kingdom of God. How does your righteousness exceed Pharisees, for goodness sakes? The Bible says you're made righteous alone by faith in Jesus. But subtly in our hearts, we're living like I got to earn it and I got to work for it, aren't we? And then we feel condemned when we don't. So you don't come back or you run away and you run and hide because you feel like God's condemning you and you can never measure up. Here's the newsflash. You never can. God's not condemning you. The cross has already happened. You need to run to the cross. And even when you run away from God, Psalm 139, and you make your bed in hell, guess who was there? But we were taught God can't look on sin and he doesn't see evil. Well, that's a lie because Proverbs 15.3 says that behold, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere looking on the good and the evil. There's not one thing in your heart that God doesn't see or know. You can't hide a thing inside of you. Not one thing can be hidden from God. So why are we hiding? Fear, shame. We should always be aware of just how close God is and how much he sees and most importantly, how much he loves and continually pours into us and he gives us what we don't deserve. God literally gives you what you don't deserve? Yes. You don't want him to give you what you deserve. It'd be a bad day. I mean, if you think you have bad days, if God gave you what you deserved, it'd be a lot worse. All the while, we talk out of both sides of our mouth, and we're quick to speak and slow to listen. We're quick to speak and slow to listen. But the Scripture says, be slow to speak and quick to listen. Be slow to speak and quick to listen, instead of quick to speak and slow to listen. Did you get all that? Okay, good. We're offended. We preserve ourselves. We manifest our issues all day long. We have hidden, subtle fears and shame. We worry and we doubt, and we protect our lives for the fear of death. And we run and hide. And in turn, we live contrary to the gospel. Most of us don't even know or grasp the depth of the gospel or the good news for your life. We have an Americanized gospel. We fight to live instead of fighting to die, don't we? Let's just be honest with ourselves. We fight to live instead of fighting to die. We fight to be known and to have more instead of fighting to give away and have less. We fight for our rights, which don't exist in the kingdom of God, and we live as if we're entitled to do whatever we want, to act how we want, and to love less because we're hurt. We're offended. We're mad. We didn't get our way. Or even worse, God didn't do what we thought he should do. That's even worse. God didn't show up the way we thought he should. And I did check all my boxes and God didn't heal me when I thought he should. And nothing worked out the way I thought it should. And I trusted God and I want my 90 day money back guarantee. And I didn't get anything I wanted. Nothing went my way. 
What about me? And God's all the while, he's off in China. Back, Iraq, maybe. I don't know where he's at. Everywhere but here. And all the while, we lay claim to knowing him, yet we feel separated from him in our hearts. We don't say it, but we think it. And it always manifests in how we act, how we pray, how we trust, and how well we love ourselves and others. But here's the funny thing. All the while we do these things and act out, we actually think we're loving ourselves. And after all, it's me first, isn't it? And then others? It's not. This is the deceptive lie that's wrapped in a half-truth. Love me and everything about me, and then I can properly love others because it's all about me, myself, and I. Me, 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 me. My needs, my wants, my desires, my self-esteem, and this becomes our focus. And all the while, we're like brute beasts ruled by our appetites, all in the name of the Lord. Now, I know this is hard. I mean, I'm doing my best to just cut you easy. I understand this is hard, but I got some really great news for you. The kingdom of God is less of me and more of him. I must decrease so he can decrease, increase. I have to hate my life, and if I do, guess what? I find it. I have to die daily. I protect nothing. I defend nothing. I preserve nothing, which will all inevitably fade away. God sees everything. Second Chronicles 16.9. Jehoshaphat makes a pact with the king of Syria. God has done so much for him. The seer comes into his life and says this. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly, therefore from now on you will have wars. We have wars because we're acting foolish, because we make pacts and agreement with ourselves or the enemy instead of with him. And we don't really understand that God's always watching. His eyes are always running to and fro throughout the whole earth. But what does he really want to do? He wants to show himself perfect to you. What is the best perfect way God shows himself to you? perfect love, the cross. You're my son. We have all these skewed viewpoints about God. You're a son first. If you don't know who you are in your identity, you'll always try to measure up in performance. You will have a master-slave mentality towards God instead of a father-son mentality. And many of you are living dejected and rejected and hurt and offended and running away because you don't understand that God is a good father and he loves you as a son or a daughter. So you see him as a master slave. I'm not good enough. They're not good enough. They aren't doing what I want, and I can't perform or measure up. Therefore, God's mad at me, and he's distant from me. It's all a lie. So I better work harder, and I better perform. And you can do all your devos and your quiet times and your intimacies and still be far from God and not know him. You can be a master scripture quoter and not even know him. So God wants to show himself strong to you. What is a loyal heart? A loyal heart isn't a heart that doesn't make mistakes. It's a heart that's always desirous and wanting and honest. Loyalty is honesty. Yeah. I mean, that's probably hands down my favorite thing about my wife. She's very loyal. And in her loyalty, she's honesty, honest. You never really have to know what she's thinking.
Her face will show it, yes, but she'll also, she's not afraid to say it. And, it, and many times I'm like, man, wow, just lay it all out there. She's like, yeah, that's how she sees it. <laughs> and no, it's not always the Lord. But she's growing and she's learning and love covers a multitude of sins. And instead of getting offended and pull away, I should be for her and drawing closer to her. And I need to work on me instead of trying to fix her. Right. Men. Huh? But she is right a lot. In fact, she's right all the time. My wife's never wrong. <laughs> that was a lie. <laughs> Proverbs 15.3. Where are God's eyes? Wait, where? Oh, uh, but what about when you hide or run or lie or think something inside of you or sneak off to do that thing? Is he there? He takes note of everything that happens. He watches over who? His lovers. He sees the good and the evil. Is he in the bar? Is he at the strip club? Loving, desiring, caring. And yeah, he takes note. Yes, there will be judgment. This isn't a sloppy grace thing. God can be angry, but he's not an angry God. There is the wrath of God, which is this understanding that when I plug up my ears, go read Zechariah 7. We're going to teach it in October. When I plug up my ears and I am obstinate and I keep turning away from him and not wanting to listen to him and doing what he says, ultimately the consequences are designed to bring me back to him, but they will kill me if I don't turn away. Isn't that right? Many of us know that. We've just been stubborn and obstinate and brute beast going our own way. And it's like eventually we realize running and hiding doesn't do any good because you get tired of beating your head against a wall enough. And at some point you're like, this is, I'm the idiot and it's never going to work. I'm just going to surrender. That was me. That's me now. It wasn't just me then, it's me now. <clears throat> he sees everything. Hebrews 4.13, there's nothing, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him of whom we must give an account. So I'm constantly having to give an account to the Lord, which means I'm constantly repenting. And it's not just on the day of judgment, because I learned something a long time ago. If I would go and judge myself now with him and his mercy, mercy triumphs over judgment, it's going to be way better now than then. It's check yourself before you wreck yourself. So I'm doing a lot of repenting and correcting and thinking twice before I say something. And I still have my moments and my manifestation, but I'm hoping that I'm getting better. I hope. I think I am. She's the real test. The home, the home is... That's where it's at. In fact, God says, you don't even think you're going to know me or take care of my house till you take care of yours. And I found that the more that I love her, the more I know him. And my kids. 
Oh, my kids, they're, they're the second most ultimate test. <laughs> and we really tested our parents, by the way. Did we ever test them? God knows everything about you. Now, I'm going to show you this awesome block of scriptures you may have never read. It's Isaiah chapter 29. We're going to read verses 13 to 16. Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me. See, what I'm trying to do is pull back the veil and get to the inside. Here's why. When Jesus died on the cross, he was the actual veil to get to the presence. But the veil that was in the second temple was a lie. And everybody was going through the motions, the sacrifices. They were doing everything that they were supposed to do from the first temple. The sacrifices, the brazen altar, the lampstand, the showbread, the incense. And there was a veil in the second temple. Guess what was behind the veil? Nothing. What should have been behind the veil? The Ark of the Covenant. But it was gone. So the lie was revealed. We're all going through the motions and there's no presence. But when Jesus was ripped in two on the cross, guess where the Ark was? Remember, on the day of the Feast of Tabernacles, everybody's on their parade carrying their water jugs from the Pool of Siloam, and they're going to the temple to pour the water out on the altar. It was called the water drawing ceremony. On the last great day of the feast, Jesus stands up and says, Hey, all y'all have no idea what you're doing. I'm paraphrasing. You're wasting your time. Over here, I'm the living water. I'm the rock split in two. While you go through all your motions of religious duty, there's no life. At some point, God doesn't want your religious duty of your nice Sunday morning Christianity and using all your gifts that make you feel better. He wants you. And he wants you to be real and authentic and honest. First with him. So you can actually have right relationships. And now you don't hide behind your gift. And your service, that makes you feel better. But you're real and you're raw. And it's like, look, I don't want to go through the motions anymore. Is anybody here tired of going through the motions of Christianity? Because it sure straight wears me out. And you're wearing me out. (laughs) Don't get offended. We're all wearing each other out. Hundreds of thousands of people don't even go to church because they're straight wore out and they have a wore out perception of who God really is because they don't really know him. They know about his principles and all they see is a bunch of fake Christians hiding behind something. And our nice feel-good traditions because how I was raised, that made me feel good. And I want to go back to my smells and my seances and my chants that has no life. But it makes me feel good. (laughs) We draw near with our mouth. But guess where your heart is? Worship starts. Really like that worship leader, that big Mexican guy. I don't like his hair. (laughs) This is a showboat. 
showboating. It's too loud. Why are those kids dancing up front? What is this, a youth conference? And in our hearts, we forbid the kids to run to the Lord. Because they don't really know. They're just kids. They don't even know what they're doing. Man, don't get me started. And God says to me, you get up. When I was down, I was down here for almost a whole year. And you know what? I'm standing back there. I'm, man, I'm, I'm the pastor and whew, I'm going to preach a word. And God's like, you get up there and you worship with those kids. Because unless you become like a child, I'm like, they're not, I'm not going to let a 15-year-old outdo me in worship. I'm going to be 50, and I'm going to throw down in this house right now. I'm just telling you right now. Y'all, some of you should be convicted. Because you're just like those disciples telling the kids, get back. In your heart, but you don't say it. And we'll smile, do our church duty while we sway back and forth. This is nice. But we're not really worshiping because we're not really broken and don't really realize what God has done because we worship because of how good he is and how faithful he is and how much he loves you. Not because it's your right Sunday morning thing to do. (sighs) Maybe we've gone to church too long. Their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Religion taught us to fear. Maybe we are coming to the Lord because we're afraid of hell. And we went to, it's like, man, we need more sin preaching. Listen, I hate sin. Sin will kill you, but I'm not condemned. And I'm going to get myself right before the judgment comes then by checking my heart now and everything that we're talking about and everything I'm talking about now is honesty and integrity. It will make your marriage better. It will make your family better. I'm telling you, I'm like many times just want to rip off the facade, the fake it till you make it, the front. I quoted all my scriptures and they're not working, but I'm going to keep quoting them in hopes that they work. And I'm like, why don't you just be real and raw and just manifest? I don't even care if you drop cuss words. Just let it all out. Just cuss. Just rip it out. And I'm like, yes, finally we've got authenticity. And we're afraid of that because we don't want to see that side of us. Yet we hide it on the inside. When now I'm like, man, praise God. Now we've got some, we're being real. Now Jesus can really start to work on you. All things hidden shall be revealed. I know this this can be tough preaching, especially if we're protecting religious ideologies. But I'm just telling you right now, God's into the authenticity. And that doesn't give you permission to stay that way. Watch this. So therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among the people, a marvelous work and wonder for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. Check out verse 15. Woe to those who seek deep to hide their counsel far from the Lord in their works in the dark. Woe. And I'm saying, no, I'm getting it out. I don't want a woe. This is that. This is what I'm talking about. We seek counsel deep inside our hearts and we think we're actually hiding from the Lord and we're not. 
There's nothing in the dark. It says there, and there are works in the dark. But the reality is there's actually, it's a dark thing, but it's not dark to the point where God doesn't see and doesn't know. It makes me faster to repent. It makes me faster to not run to the dark because I'm like, the Lord's there. And when I do, I'm quick to repent and I'm quick to say, God, I don't want to be like that anymore. And if I can get you just to that spot, we're on a good start. Because pride is the fastest thing that keeps you back. So we think we don't, man, I'm good. How many times, if I asked about half of you, how you doing? I'm good. You need prayer? No, I'm good. I'm good. I hate that I'm good. Nobody's good. <laughs> Let's just resolve that right now. You're never good. <laughs> they said to Jesus, good teachers. Like, what? No, I'm not even good. Nobody's good. Only the Father's good. Their works are in the dark. They say, who sees us? Who knows us? Surely you've had things turned around. I like that. You're kind of backwards right now. You have things turned around. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? For shall the thing made say of him who made it, he did not make me? Or shall the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding? That's pretty awesome. <laughs> this is awesome. As I know everything about you. I'm the potter, you're the clay. I'm molding you and shaping you. Be molded. Stop resisting. Let me push you, press you, twist you, shape you, shake you, break you, smash you, whatever I need to do to create you. Instead of protecting and preventing and hiding and going through the motions of life. Because what's going to happen? You're going to work hard. You're going to raise your kids. You made a bunch of money and then you died. Or later in life, you're going to look back and go, man, I wish I wouldn't have wasted all those years. And I missed all those things with my kids and my family. And some of you did that. And now you're living in regret. But the Bible says there's no regret. Pick yourself up by the bootstraps and let's get rolling. Because as long as you're breathing, it's never too late. Let's get out of our victim mentalities and our pity parties. And I know sometimes you want to have a pity party. And you know what? I'll love you in your pity party. But I'm not going to let you stay there. I can't stay in my... I'm the biggest pity party guy, asked my wife. I'm a high feeler. I'm sensitive. And I'm like pity party central. Am I right? <laughs> oh, that's not easy to say. But I don't care. Because I don't want to be that way. We honor God with our lips, yet deep down in our hearts, we're far from him. And yet God never stops loving, never stops pursuing, and he already knows what's going on deep down inside of you. We, he understands because he made us, hence we can't hide our counsel from him. We can try, but again, you can run, but you can't. The best thing we can do is to stop running and to stop getting things turned around. In fact, just a minute, man, I think I have been a donkey. I want to really cuss, but there's kids here. I want to really say the other word because that's really what I think. I don't really like to cuss. I'm not a cusser. But the truth is, is I have been a donkey in a lot of areas, and I don't want to be one anymore. I don't want you to be one. I want you to be truthful and honest and realize and recognize and not protect and hide, especially behind the facade of Christianity. You got a veil, but there's nothing behind it. Let's just rip the veil in two and get some real presence in it. His name's Jesus. And the fastest way to get to that Ark of the Covenant is on the cross.
when we run, we actually think he doesn't see or he doesn't know as if he didn't make us. But he did. That's why I'm going to just say on the opinionated thing. Every time you're opinionated or if you live opinionated or judgmental towards other people, you are running from God. You're not doing it intentionally, but you're going to your default. It's just my personality type. We've had this conversation a lot. It's just how I'm wired. You're wrong, I'm right. You're an idiot, I'm not. <laughs> and we just say all kinds of opinions that we didn't really think twice and would God really say it that way? Most of the time, no. Some of the times, yes. In fact, I've learned more often than not to listen to what my wife says. Because a lot of times she really is right. And when she starts saying, you mark my words, that person that's really nice to you and says how much they love you all the time, they won't be here long. I'm like, no, it can't be. They're, their lives being so changed. She's like, mark my words. I can guarantee you right now when things don't go their way or they get promoted or put into a position, they'll be gone. I'm like, you're so wrong. You don't even know what you're talking about. And guess what? I actually hate it that she's right so much of the time. I mean, really, I'm like, it just makes me mad, but not so much anymore. The truth is, is that I've learned to listen. And she's saying things I don't like. That's why I don't like it. But then the Lord's like, you better pay attention and really listen. But she doesn't even get out of the process of having to think twice and listen to the Lord and speak his way. But she's a work in process. And we say, here's what we say to write off. Well, nobody's perfect, bro. We all got those issues. And then that's our quick default to write it all off and make it okay. It's not okay. But we still love and we're in process, but let's call it out for what it is. Let's stop doing the human nature thing. It's just human nature. No, it's a wrong tree inside of you that if you eat from, it feeds the human nature. But if you eat from the tree of life inside of you, it produces life. If you walk in the flesh, you'll die. But if you walk in the spirit, you'll live. And I have the flesh and the spirit both right here at the same time. And at any time, any time I can choose to eat from this other tree, that will lead me down the wrong path. And I can think it in my mind and my heart because actually if you do a study on sin, sin always started in the heart. It always started when the desire that I thought about long before I acted on it. Most of the time, it was never a just oops. It was a preconceived thing in me that I was feeding that manifested. But Jesus died to reverse the curse. Galatians 3.13, curses anybody that hangs on a tree. The curses should be reversed. So when I keep eating from that wrong tree inside of me, I'm bringing the curse back. And it leads me down a road of fear and self-preservation, worry, doubt, shame, lies, hiding. Look at Luke 12, verse 2 through 7. Luke 12, verse 2 through 7. Everything hidden and covered up will soon be exposed. For the facade is falling down. Can you please write a song titled, The Facade is Falling Down? I'm serious. The facade is falling down, falling. It's got to be something. London Bridge and the facade is falling down. (laughs) 
Whatever you, I'm going to add something to the scripture. Don't get mad. Whatever you have spoken in the depth of your heart in private will be public knowledge. And what you've whispered secretly behind closed doors will be broadcast far and wide for all to hear, which should make me think twice about what I'm saying and what I'm thinking. And what I should be doing is giving it to the Lord. I'm not faulting you for saying it. I'm faulting, I'm going to fault you and myself if I don't learn to give it to the Lord and then begin to process it together with them. That's the process of growth, maturity. It's true that they may kill your body, but they have no power over your soul. The one you must fear is God, for he has both the power to take your life and the authority to cast your soul into hell. Yes, the only one you need to fear is God. And it's not a phobia like afraid of snakes and spiders. That's not that, it's not terroristic fear. To the world, God is a terrorist and they will see him rightfully so, but he's not. We have to show him who he really is so that they can get converted and give their life to Jesus. The only thing we should be fearing is God, but it's a different kind of fear, but it's a reverent, holy fear that he's awesome and I have no right to live in victim mentality and I have no right to protect and preserve myself. Think about this. You know the scripture that says he'll never leave you or forsake you? I shared this with you last week. That scripture is in the context of money. Don't be anxious for your money or what you're going to have because God will never leave you or forsake you, which means he's always close and always with you. So what are you protecting and preserving? Your estate, your ranch, your stuff, your cars, your buildings, your house, the things you've worked hard for? God's the one that gave it all to you anyway to begin with. So why are you freaked out and afraid and self-preserving and protecting and then going home at night not being present with your family because all you're thinking about is your work that you were at all day long? We're not rested. God wants you to be rested. He wants you to trust. He wants you to be at peace. Verse 6. What is the value of your soul to God? Question mark. Could your worth be defined by the amount of money? God doesn't abandon or forget even the small sparrow he has made. How then could he forget or abandon you? He can't. He never forgets or abandons you. What about the seemingly minor issues of your life? Do those matter to God? Everything matters to the Lord because he's a good father that cares about you. There's not one thing that the father does not care about. Of course they do. So you never need to worry. Never, ever, ever. You should underline that, highlight it. There's never, ever, ever, ever. But what I want you to see is we are worried about a lot of things. But God says not to. So hence, we repent and we give it up to him. And I say, we own it instead of protect it. Stop protecting your worry, which brings anxiety. Mark my words, worry and fear produces anxiety. But the faster you repent and you give it to the Lord and he brings his comfort and his healing to your life, you will get over that anxiety. Right. You never need to worry. You're more valuable, God, than anything else in this world. Oh, man, I love that. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. So we're convinced. We should be convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into your life. That's the scripture. All things work together for the good to those who love God. We don't understand why sickness and those things happen 
And I will never say that God put that sickness on you because I would never do that to my kids. But even in the midst of it, battling bad allergic asthma, multiple pneumonias, having to be on an injectable medication every two weeks, times I can't breathe, I'm wheezing, nebulizers, all that stuff. I'm not sitting here in a, pic, in a pity party, God, why aren't you? In fact, I'm trusting him more because I know he's in the overcoming and he cares about every area of my life. And I don't have every answer or understand, but it doesn't change who he is. And I keep saying this. You have the option to question God and live in a pity party or trust him and believe that he'll do what he said he would do and to understand that your outward man is perishing. All of us are dying as we get older, but we understand on the inside, we're renewed day by day. Everything's continually woven together to fit God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives for we are his lovers and we've been called to fulfill his design purpose. For he knew all about us. This is the predestiny. He knew all about us before we were born. And he destined you to what? From the beginning to share the likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. So we're going to become like him. We can do it the easy way or the hard way. Isn't that right? But God loves you, and when I see you, I see somebody that's going to become like him. No matter how much you messed it up. Having determined our destiny ahead of time, God called us to himself and transferred his perfect righteousness to everyone he called. And those who possess his perfect righteousness, he co-glorified with the Son. That scripture is hard to understand when you're living in sin and you know better. But it's still true. So what does it all mean? If God has determined to stand with us, tell me who could ever stand against you. For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as a sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold, withhold from us anything else he has to give. If you really could understand this, that God doesn't want to withhold anything back from you because he loves you and he gave his son for you and he predestined you, it will change how you live. And even when I fail, I won't be stuck in a pity party and I won't manifest on her. I'll love her even better. And I'll leave you with this scripture, Romans chapter 8, verse 34 through 39. This is going to wrap up a nine-season, nine-week run on this season. I can't finish it out without leaving you with this. Who is he who condemns? Question mark. It's Christ who died and furthermore all is also risen who is even at the right hand of God who's actually interceding for you. So the answer is no one can condemn, not even Christ, because he gave his life and is actually praying and fighting for you now. But we think he's against us. What will separate you from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, meaning when I lay it all out, is that going to separate you? In fact, he'll actually love you more because now there's, you're not high. I mean, he loved, I don't actually, let me rephrase it. God isn't going to love you more. He can never love you more. He loves you the most you could ever be loved. So let's just lay it all out. <laughs> As it's written for your sake. So I love this. So nothing can separate you. He always loves you. 
And you have to realize it's written, for your sake we're killed all day long and we're counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded neither death nor life, angels or principalities, powers, things present or things to come, height or depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, you can run, but you can't hide. You can try, but God in his love and mercy and grace is always searching, always seeing, always knowing, always reaching out and always loving. You can run, but you ultimately can't hide. You may as well stop running and hiding and living a lie. If I could people tell me, man, the devil's on the move. The devil's on the move. The devil's kicking my hiney. I'm like, well, someone's loving your hiney. Someone loves you to no end. You think the devil's even got... The devil is defeated. Instead of focusing on how much the enemy has worked into your spouse or your job or your employer or your kids, what if you could see how much God worked in his perfect love? The devil's defeated. Perfect love casts out all fear. So I, I love you. I won't be speaking next week. And then uh, the next week I'll be elk hunting, just so that you know. I hope you all will come, even if I'm not speaking. This church can't be all wrapped around me. It's us. It's family. But this last nine weeks, it's just like, it's just, I feel, it just wrecked me. I'm amazed how much the Bible actually has to say about it, too. Like my encounter brought to life God's word in a way I never knew. And my prayer is that you would have that encounter, too. My, I actually am going to pray that you would have a third-person vision from God to see yourself. To see how foolish you act but to see how much he loves you. Because until you realize how foolish you've been and you own it, you'll never realize how much he actually really loves you. Because <laughs> our bad reveals how good he is. I taught you that. <laughs> He's so good because we are so messed up. Why are we protecting and pretending anymore? Man, that's why I worship. Oh, you know, we sang those songs today, Good, Good Father and Reckless Love. I'm like, man, how many times can we sing these songs? I'm just like, a, we've sung them so many times. And then God says, oh, really? Why don't you listen to the words again? And are you going to wor worship? It's like, oh, I read Psalm 139. Let me give you some homework. Go read Psalm 139 tonight. This will, my whole message is encapsulated in Psalm 139. Make your bed in hell. He's there. Every thought you think, he knows it before you say it. Hairs on your head, he's counted them. That blows my mind, especially with all the hair that falls out of Amber's head in the shower. I'm like, where's all this hair coming from? It means he's constantly counting. I mean, it's like, what in the world? He's OCD in that way. His love, he's OCD with his love. And it's not a disorder, it's divinely orchestrated.
just close our eyes for a moment. Please, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on us, God. Have mercy on me and have mercy on all the ways that we act and think and counsel and process and are opinionated and run and hide and preserve. And Lord, we don't want to be that way anymore. Helps us to see our spouses and our children the way you do. Everyone you put in our lives. Help us to think twice before we talk. Slow to speak and quick to listen. Help us to process and engage and not pull away when somebody does something we don't like. Make us one, Lord, as you and the Father are one. First in our homes, then in your home. Help us to be real with ourselves, Lord, and help us to see the way you see. I ask that you'd give everybody here a third-person vision of their life, that they would see what you're seeing and how you see and how you process and not fall into shame. No more shame. I break shame out of this church and out of all your lives. We've all fallen short. Not one was righteous. Everybody like sheep went astray. There's no distinguishing factor between Jews and Gentiles. All need God's love and mercy equally. So I pronounce forgiveness, life, healing, trust, perfect love over you. Pull away the veils and the facades. Forgive us for our opinions and our judgments. Lord, I have so many. Man, I have so many. I just give them to you. Forgive us, Lord, for the sins of our nation, Lord, and how we all have gone astray. Bring us back, Lord, to the foundation of Christ. And mercy, Lord, on us. Give us wisdom as we go headlong into what seems to be the craziest time in history. And I thank you that we're heads, not tails. May we live like it. I break victim mentalities, pity parties, self-preservation, divisiveness. Lord, I want to love better. May that be the cry of everybody's heart here, to love better, to love and live like you. I speak strength to you, nourishment to your hearts, your minds, your thought life, your ears and your eyes. I speak light and water and fertilizer to you that you'd bloom and blossom as a beautiful garden and not be shrunk down and wilted. God, I thank you for your kindness. May we all repent. May we all repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand now. Yeah. Kingdom of God is at hand now. Just like it was thousands of years ago, it's, it's as much now as it was then. He's an ever-present help. He's standing right in front of you. In fact, he's in you. The word of God is on your mouth, your lips, and in your heart. So I thank you, Lord, for a transparent church, an honest church. All over this city, every other church, Lord, we pray for them. Lord, as they've gathered today and some are gathering now, Lord, pour your spirit out there. 
break the competitive spirit in the church. Make us one, Lord, even in our differences, even in the things we don't like. We pray for them. Pour out your spirit there. And I thank you, God, that the body of Christ will be the body of Christ. And we are a part of that. And Lord, as we go to the day of repentance this Wednesday, Lord, I pray that every pastor that prays, the worship teams that play, the whole day of us gathering together as a citywide church family, that you'd hear our cry and heal our nation and heal our city. I thank you for that. Stop running, son. Stop running, daughter. I'm for you, not against you. No more running. No more hiding. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for your word that guides us, your spirit that leads us, your love that protects us and fights for us. In Jesus' name, amen.